awesome date. Sometime in July. In the future. Awesome topic. Musishi. Like you promised. This is the awesome cast. folks, and welcome back to the Awesome Cast. I'm Basil. I'm Eric. I'm Nobody. And that's us. Woo! Like we said last week, we we're going to talk about Mushishi this week. So, here it is, our podcast on Mushishi. thing that needs to be said about Mushishi before we get any further into it is that it's a very slow-paced anime. Yeah, if, if you can't stand something that has a lot of dialogue, has a lot of subtle stuff in it, that doesn't have any fight scenes or very, very few action sequences, you're probably not going to like Mushishi. You're probably too stupid to understand it, and but that's, that's okay. That's okay, you know, every fandom has its stupid half, and you're just in that. Rishishi is a manga series that was written and illustrated by Yuki Urushibara that was apparently published in Kodansha's Afternoon Magazine. It was adapted into an anime by Artland. It's a very slow-releasing uh, manga. I think the first volume took a year for all of the stories in it to come out, and I think the second volume took two years. Um, like, I know there was a really long gap in there between yeah. two of the volumes. It averages about a year between Japanese novel releases. Yeah. Even that said, it's been, it's been releasing since 1999, so... So there's, like, there's six volumes currently, um, excuse me, uh, pardon me, there are four volumes currently out in America, um, seven in Japan, and all, all three of the other volumes in Japan are slated to arrive in America, um... I believe actually the next one comes out next month, and then there's one in January, and then April. If I remember correctly, what happened was actually it was sort of luck that we actually got Mushishi, as it was a, uh, the lady had written some stories, early Mushishi stuff, and then submitted it to a, uh, 
a contest to try and get it published, and she happened to win. Yep. And if she had not done that, she was probably going to quit manga entirely. Well, that's how most uh, that's how most Japanese mangaka get their get their start. Really, is they submit it to some sort of contest, they win, and then it get then it, that contest winning earns it a spot regularly occurring in some magazine. Or headhunted by Roddy Dodinci. Oh, yeah, that that too. But yeah, like we said earlier, this is not for everyone, but it's certainly awesome. It's uh, I think no. the time period's kind of weird. Yeah, it's it's a. Mushishi is a cross between fairy tales and science fiction that's set in a purposefully indeterminate period of Japanese history. It's pre-Kenshin. Well, uh, yeah. A lot of um, the stuff seems like it could be feudal Japan, where at the same time there's tons of stuff with modern elements in it. So There have been many points in Japan's history where in the cities there's been a whole lot of western influence, while in the rural areas, Japan has remained just as it always was, and Mushishi's supposed to be in one of those periods of times, but that's pretty much any time from when Britain became aware of Japan to before Kenshin, I guess. I don't know. I'm not sure the manga really even cares. Yeah, Yeah, she's actually stated that she intentionally doesn't want a definite purpose. Yeah, yeah, she she said this is not in a definite period, I'm going to write it where I want it to be written. Sort of like how West, how Grimm's fairy tales are all set in magical Western fairy tale land, not really any specific time frame, just the generic past. That's kind of how she's wanting Mushishi to go. Which is which is the more fairy tale part of it. Well, the science fiction end of it is that basically Ginko, who's the main character, uh, who we'll talk about in a minute, stories are. Fairy tales. Like, he goes around and he basically finds all these legends and myths and these things that happen to these uh, villagers and townsfolk. And Mushishi puts forth a sort of scientific explanation for them that there's one more, um, and I don't know if this is the right scientific term, phyla of, one more kingdom, excuse me. Yeah. There's one more kingdom that's not in our world and they're, they're Mushi. And Mushi are the lowest kingdom. They're the direct cross between, like, nothing and physical, like, you know, energy and... Life. Like, life and physical form. Yeah, if you were to say that bacteria is the lowest, uh... If you were to say that bacteria is the lowest because it has primarily the one cell, the single cell organisms, Mushishi, well, not Mushishi, but Mushi are sort of like that, are are only the spiritual side of it, where they're the living life force rather than the physical necessity. But they can be all sorts of shapes and sizes They're really more like protozoans when you think of it. Because they're so basic, they can kind of break the rules a little bit for um, that life has and do things that a more advanced life form can't do. They're really more like protozoans. And uh, so there's a science, which, which was one of the things I love about it, is the fact that this is a you know, for much of it, rural, feudal Japanese manga with science fiction elements. I just, I love that. But what's really neat is that not everything is really the Mushi. Yes. Like, the very first story, there's a guy who can draw things with his hand, left hand, and it comes to life. Which is entirely magical, God-given ability that has nothing to do with Mushi, mushi at all. It, the story, that particular story, does have something to do with Mushi, but his particular ability doesn't. Right, and there's and occasionally that comes in other other yeah, things other where, parts. Yeah, where where people have special abilities that aren't that are weird and magical, but aren't explained by Mushi, which I thought was really nice that it's got both. While primarily Mushi based, it's got other things too, and 
our main character, Ginko, Ginko who is, is uh, Mushishi. It's basically a wandering, uh, I don't know, Mushi scientist. He goes around acting as a... I think uh, one of the translations... One, someone translated Mushishi as bug master, and that's a retarded translation and totally doesn't capture what the Mushi are in this setting. But... Uh, but it is a- actually probably an accurate translation since Mushi, the way they spell it, it can all, it's similar to the word for bug. But anyway, um, basically the adding the she on the end of it is basically saying one who knows a whole lot about this kind of thing. So, yeah. and, and he wanders around. He his goal first off, I wanted to to make this clear because this is one of uh, my favorite parts about the series too. Ginko is not going around saving people from Mushi. He's not going around with the purpose of mind of I'm going to go. I'm such a great guy. I'm going to help all these people, even though he's a good guy. He is just interested in Mushi. He wants to know more about them. So he wanders around collecting stories and pieces and bits of them, right? And as it so happens, a lot of times people are having problems with Mushi. And part of the way he gets paid is by diagnosing Mushi problems. Sort of like a Mushi doctor. Yeah, he's like a Mushi doctor, but he's not doing it from motivations of helping people. He's doing it because he's generally curious in studying Mushi. Or the Mushi Whisperer. Yes. They, God. This is a bad But part. yes. You know, the first time I was watching this show the first time through, I made the comment to Eric that I thought it was really kind of a... It was really kind of convenient how everywhere he seemed to go, the problem always seemed to be Mushi, and he always seemed to be just able to fix it, just like, you know, Luffy goes from town to town, and there's always one guy that he has to beat up in order to become... to save the world, but... Then Eric kindly pointed out to me, and has helped me sense that, well, yeah, these are the stories we're listening to. Of course it's always going to be Mushi. And he doesn't always save everybody. Yes, he does not. That is something else you must prepare yourself for Mushishi, is just like Grimm's fairy tales, we do not always get a happy ending in Mushishi. Sometimes it's a happy ending. Sometimes it's a happy ending. Sometimes it's a sad ending. Sometimes it's just kind of a bittersweet ending. Yeah, where you... so or sometimes a it's melancholy. almost yeah, it's a little melancholy, but it's not really bad. I mean, Mushishi has very realistic endings to a lot of its episode in the terms of that not everything is, is a high, shiny, happy, everything's fixed ending. And also, a lot of things while Mushi are always you involved, a lot of things at its core are what the humans are doing. Yes, being affected by Mushi, but in but in the end, it's human decisions that cause what happens. For, for example, there's at one point a, uh, a a husband and wife who lost their child. Oh, that's probably and, one of my favorite episodes. And the child keeps, you know, like... But a child shows up but that a child looks shows like their up child. Looks exactly like their child. Except for it's really this kind of mushy. Yeah, one year later, another one shows up. A year later, another one shows up. Until they have children that are all... Sort of like this gestalt entity at one-year intervals. And it turns out... It's, uh... Yeah. The, and the Mushi, while not malevolent, is... I can't remember what it's... Well, it's the Mushi's fault that their child died. Yes, the, and there's there's other stuff, too, though. Isn't there, like... There's a reason Ginko has to kill them. Like, Ginko, like, gets rid of them. Yeah, so... so I forget what it was. I can't... Yeah, I can't remember why, but there's a reason this Mushi does something, not malevolently, but just does it, that hurts people. It... it what it did is it infected her womb while she was pregnant and took over that in order to gest- gestate or something. 
and killed the baby. Well, no, no, besides no, they, they, that, they had more there stuff. Was, there was more stuff. There was a what? reason. Yeah, there was yeah. a reason why Ginko had. Remember, he Ginko had to get rid of them all. Well, yeah, he had to kill them all. He had to kill them all, and there was a reason. But the parents, and this is where the human interaction comes play, begged him, you know, don't do this. Let us keep the youngest one, and because we want our child back. So Ginko's like, fine. I shouldn't do this, but you can keep it. But as long as you kill it before it reaches a certain age, and he comes back to them. I can't remember how long long later. It's supposed to be like a year later. And really bad stuff has happened because the parents just couldn't bring themselves to do that. And eventually, it gives to between almost like a mental war between Ginko and the Mushi, and they're like, "We just want to live." And Ginko's like, "Well, yes, but so do humans." And we're more important than you. Yeah, and unfortunately, <laughs> I'm a human. It wasn't that we were more important than him. It was that it was actually a, a, that a, it was, something my friend Barry best, would really like. Yeah, it's one of like, the best lines in all of Mushishi, which is, we're only trying to live, and Ginko replies, so are so we. So are we. Yeah, uh, you know, unfortunately, sometimes that means that one living means other others dying. And it, like I said, it's a very... Uh, heady anime and manga in a lot of ways. In some ways, it's very similar to, like, horror titles. Yes. Well, it's it's a grim fairy tale. That's another thing. It's a Grimm's fairy tale, not a Disney fairy tale. These are not Cinderella as you know it, or um, what's, a, what's a good example? It's not like the Little Mermaid you saw in Disney. This is the... The one that turned to stone. Yeah, the one that turned to stone, and feet stu- stood on daggers whenever she was on land, and had her throat torn out at one point, like, yeah. and that just lost her voice. Like, this was a... You know, this is our real fairy tale. Yeah. Um, sorry? No, it's cool. Uh, the art's beautiful in it. I just want to say that yeah. right now. Like, the art in both the manga and the anime is beautiful stuff. The art is absolutely stunning. Sadly, in the American release, the company that's translating it is trying to do their absolute best by the work, but just by American standards, they can't have just full spreads of watercolor pages, which is how it originally appeared in yeah, unfortunately, there are a lot of like watercolors and beautifully painted stuff and full color stuff that we don't get because um, it's just too expensive to publish and not enough people yeah. buy it. I think they did for the first volume um, yeah. publish some of them, and I know the first volume had a really nice like jacket on it and was a really nice addition. Um, but unfortunately, it didn't sell enough. I think I, the publishers didn't they have something? The American it. publishers had something to say. And that was that they were not published. They were not translating Mushishi for Sales. us. They are translating, translating it for, the, for their yeah. kids. Yeah, yeah, it was like this is not. We're not translating this for you to buy this right now. We're translating this for your kids to have, like when they because grow up. this is an important piece of work. Yeah, yeah, and it is. Um, the writing is excellent. Um, the dialogue is very real. I really appreciate that. It's got a nice translation to it. It doesn't have any of what. Um, my friend James, uh, that's editing, listening to this right now. Anime shtick. Anime shtick. It doesn't have any anime shtick in it anywhere. They're definitely, these are just good stories. Yes. It has a lot of Japanese shtick, but that's because that's all different. the people well, are it's Japanese. In Japan. It's in Japan. You know, yeah. that's a setting issue. But this illustrates to me why I'm so glad that I'm not one of those idiot American science fiction fantasy fans that's like, fuck everything from Japan, big eyes and robots, screw that. You know what, guys? This is wonderful, pure story, and it could never be told in America. This is something that would never be written by an American, and even if it was, it would never be allowed to be published. Yeah. And that is why, at least for me, that's why I watch anime and read manga. I read and watch stories that can't be told here. 
because either we don't allow them or because our culture wouldn't think of them. And this is both. Now, as we mentioned, this is both a manga and an anime. And I said anime was adapted by Artland. And Artland did an amazing, amazing job. job. This Very would have been such an easy thing to screw up. Yes. To just make a horrible adaptation. But they did a glorious job yes. with it. The, 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 man, the anime and the manga... I th- really think this is the best adaptation of a manga in an an- for an anime I've ever seen. I mean, there's stuff where it's like, that's a still from the page. That's yes. a still from the page. That's a still from the page. But at the same time... They even keep the same watercolor type look to the, all the backgrounds. A lot of time, if I need inspiration for a background picture, I go look at that. But at the same time, they'll do things that you couldn't do in you the manga. You couldn't do in the manga. But they did in the anime in a way that it still fit. I remember one time where you see... It's with the ogre with... Especially the ogre horns that absorb sound. Yeah, the sound. And you got to see the sound vibrating off all the world, yeah, out of the world, nice. which they couldn't show in the in the manga. manga but, but but see, that's the thing. That was a touch. That's this is how you adapt print and comic books to screen, guys. You don't alter. You don't rip out pages. You don't change things. You throw in touches that you couldn't do on a written page. That's what you do, guys. I know. Like I haven't watched for the full amount of the anime all 26 episodes yet, I'm still going through it. Mostly because they are sort of slower paced, so I, can, I can't just marathon them, I have to watch them. Yeah, it's not and something you can just sit down and like. It's something you have to sort of sit you down, mentally think about it, and then prepare yourself and then experience it. I think it's something that's good to tur- turn an episode of Mushishi on, get a nice glass of wine, relax. But there, I know there's a, a story in the manga about this girl who writes... To seal Mushi, Mushi, and at one point the Mushi they're sealed all escape come out words and come out towards her, and it looked really cool in the manga. And I can't wait. Yeah, to oh, see the episode scene, in the anime. Oh, that scene looks anime. great looks in the anime. Like, I, I can't wait like, to see it. Like that's what's that's why I'm not giving the DVDs back yet. Is because I want to watch that episode specifically. Not like all six DVDs. By the way, just to throw this out there real quick, all all of the DVD, all the anime is out in America by Funimation. By Funimation. Yeah. Now that said. After reading the manga and anime, I like them in different ways. Like I think overall, my favorite thing to do actually was was to get out of to take my car, leave the house, go to like a park or something, and just sit down and read the manga. Because one of the big things about what's neat about the manga is that it's all set in rural in rural Japan, which means there's nature freaking everywhere. Everything's set in trees, and just the environment. Well, it doesn't have a pro-environmental message to it, you really feel the vibrancy of nature while reading this and yeah. watching it. Yeah. And you, I just can't go outside with my laptop and watch the show, but just g- getting out there and just sitting outside in the sun and reading this manga was one of the best experiences I've had in reading manga. Yeah. Like... It's really great. But watching the anime, like I said, you can see things and aspects of the show you can never experience in the manga version either. So, no matter what, which way you see it, I recommend both. It's, it's exemplary. Yes. And, and especially, like, if you just can't, if you've got kids or something and you want to get them into, like, anime and manga, and you're, they're at that, you know, tell them fairy tale stage, I really think that certain Mushishi stories are a great way to do that. Like, if you want to share what you love with your children... While at the same time, you know, telling them the kind of stories you tell kids, 
Uh, like, there's some of them you don't want to tell kids. Yeah, there's a couple of them. Of them. Some of them are a little dark for that. Yeah, aren't just, they? yeah, just yeah. There's a couple of them, like the girl's eyes melting out, and a couple other ones that you don't want to. But there's a couple of them that are really good fairy tales to me to tell children. And yeah. I was, I was also really amazed from the anime was that the director Hiroshi uh, Nagahama, he's done some other stuff, but this is his first major directed work, and for a first timer really to do directing, he did a stand up job. I think the time is the director who's responsible for the timing because the timing is yeah the timing's excellent. The, the timing is excellent. It's uh much like it is in the manga. Like a lot of times, that's what'll put me off on the anime is that I'll have read the manga and I'll have a certain timing in my head, and then the anime for no express reason will give this really cool shot way more time. And Mushishi doesn't do that. Mushishi just does everything wonderfully yeah. and perfectly. Now. I want to go back to what I said because I feel that this warning is really important with this show and that it is real slow pace. Yes. Like it's the pacing is perfect for what it's telling and what it's doing, but the pa- that that's just a slow methodical simple pace rather than a lot of flashy you know, jumping around and and it's not an action pace. show. It's not an action show. It Oh. Also, one thing I remember I remember when I was first watching Mushishi, a lot of times I can kind of understand what the anime characters are saying. You know, I'm sure both of you can do that too. You, you've been anime fans for so long that you just pick up all the little buzzwords. You can't really do that in Mushishi because they're not talking anime Japanese. Yeah, they they're don't... talking actual Japanese. What was neat was the guy who did Ginkgo, this is his only role he's actually ever done as an actual main character. Yep. And he did a really good job as Ginkgo. I was really surprised. And I think I was reading one. Of the, I was watching one of the um, commentaries between the director. Mm-hmm. It was that fact that he hasn't done so much anime was one of the reasons why he excelled so much at it. Well, it was uh, going back to the the voices and everything. Man, spot on. Like the the Ginkgo voice actor, at least the Japanese one. I haven't actually heard the American one, which is really good because he's the only reoccurring voice. Yes, in the show, that and the narrator. Yeah, and um, so they have a huge voice cast. Like, I won't even begin to try and go through those names, but yeah. just, because but everyone does bang up jobs. Yeah, every story, every episode is a completely different story. There are a few Very reoccurring few, yeah. characters, but by a few reoccurring characters, I mean there's one doctor guy that shows up in three well, there's the, issues. There's the girl with the words. Is oh, she yeah, in she, she's in two. She's in two. Like, there's people that Ginkgo knows that you meet a couple of times, but they don't come back very often. He's but got by like and a... large, it's just Ginkgo going and meeting new people. Yes, and because Ginkgo can't stay in one... Um, part of what fuels the show and drives all these stories is that Ginkgo can't stay in one place for any one period of time, because um, for some Mushishi, Mushi are drawn to them. And the more and more Mushi that come out of their natural habitats and into this new area, the more chance there is for problems with humans. So he can only stay like I think it was the maximum he gave at one point was like like two months. Yeah, he in gave two place. months one place. Yeah, the, the winter be- place. Yeah, that wasn't because he wanted to. That was more because he was stuck. Yeah, like yeah, there was like well no no remember he he agreed to stay a little longer even after he got unstuck oh, to watch that kid. That, oh yeah. That um, that there's actually that one right there is one of the ones I would tell. Yeah, uh, that my is a kids. good. It's a really good fairy tale to tell children. Um, I can't remember. It's the it's the something spring. 
uh, the fall spring. spring. Yeah, it's about a little spring. kid that finds an area where it's springtime in the middle of the dead of winter. Yep. You know, snow all around except for this one patch, which is blooming and it's warm. And he goes there to try to get food for him and his sister, but when the fault spring disappears, he falls asleep. Yeah. And stays asleep until actual spring comes. Because it's actually a, a mushi that sort of lives inside. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of parasite. A lot of mushi are parasites. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of mushi are, are symbiotes, too. Parasites yeah. and symbiotes, where they're either working with whatever their host is to, and feeding off them, or just feeding off them and being detrimental to their host. This one, that one is not really being detrimental to him, other than putting him to sleep until spring. Well, you could you can still die in the cold. Remember, yeah. you think you're warm, but you're not really warm. Oh, that's it's right. It's still winter. Like it fools you like that. Also, like for example, in the let's see about like that they chose ginkgo to be the mushishi. It's apparently ginkgo thinks differently than most mushishi. As when you go with a story with the girl who writes words to seal mushishi or mushi. Um, she ha- she listens to stories from Mushishi while she's doing this, and usually what happens is all the Mushishi that tell her stories are how they kill the Mushishi. Yeah, that the what separates uh, Ginko from a lot of Mushishi is that he's a scientist and a preserver, and he wants to study them and let both humans and Mushi coexist. coexist. Whereas most Mushishi, their job is to, they're exterminators. Their job is to figure out what Mushishi is causing this problem and how do I get, kill it, get rid of it. I think more like doctors than exterminators, but... No, he does, in fact, get rid of a... He kills a fair number of, of Mushi in his day. Yeah, but I think it was a really, um, like I mentioned before, it has sort of a pro-environmental message. I guess it's because he does sort of reinforce this coexistence between Mushi and humanity. And Mushi are really, really close to nature. They're about as close to nature without being, being nature, nature itself. itself. You can get because this coexistence sort of creates an allegory for us living with nature, and it's never forced, but you you feel it in you when you when you watch and read it. It's a very Japanese mindset, you know. Actually, you know, to think that we're still very in tune with nature, it's just really pleasant, and you just really enjoy it when you re- when you read it. Well, like Basil said, it's not an environmental message either. Like, it has its moments of, like we were talking about mm-hmm. with the, the Mushishi that could talk, where it's like, where Ginko's very much, I'm on human side if it comes down to it. But he doesn't want it to come down to that, if that makes any sense. Like, he's very much, I want both of us to coexist, but if you fuckers are going to, uh, you know, attack us, well, then I am going to take care of you. And it, it, I think that's a, a very sensible attitude. Like, preserve what can be preserved, but if you've got to, at the end of the day, you know... Do it. Do it. Do what you have to to survive. It's got, like, a very interesting environmental message of, of humans and nature interacting. Well, it's a show I really enjoy. Like, it's really hard to, ex- to think of a comparison in America because we don't... Get things like this in America. Yeah, that's why I keep going back to Grimm's Fairy Tales because like, it's the best. I think I the do. closest thing was that uh, Jim Henson Storyteller. Oh yes, yes. that's right. Yes, Jim if you, Henson Storyteller. If you like Jim Henson Storyteller? This is especially the first one. This is much more similar to that than to anything else we can really point to. Yeah, like I know that they did make a live action. Yes, they they made a, it was a Korean movie, wasn't it? I thought it was a Korean movie. I know it was directed by Otomo, the guy who made Akira. Yeah, Akira. And from what I hear, it adapts, I think, three or four stories. I think it's the first three stories. And the first couple of stories, it more or less tells the story. But I hear in the last one, it sort of sort of goes into Tomoland. Near the end, it becomes much more like 
Otomoe than Mushishi E. Yeah. <laughs> so for the live action, and that's actually what actually got officially translated as Bugmaster. Yeah, I was a live action movie. No, I know there is um, a English a sub of name. that running around. Um, like an official one because they showed it at Sundance and they showed mm-hmm. it at a couple other film things. I don't think we've gotten an America uh, uh, a Region One release for it. I think there's a Region Two. I have a feeling if it does, it'll be, it'll be called Bugmaster. Yeah, that's, oh, that's terrible. I, I, unfortunately, like, yeah, I do think so because right. I think terrible. someone said it was coming to DVD as Bugmaster. That's why it was at Sundance. So somebody bought it. Well, it was it was titled as Bugmaster Sundance. Yeah. so that's that's what it's going under as. So if you see something called Bugmaster and it's a live action movie and you like Mushishi, it's the same thing. Give it a try. Awesomes out of awesome this, could we give Mushishi this is a tough one for me well let's see how many uh, animal kingdoms are uh, there uh, 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 seven let see there's the fish birds reptiles mammals insects protozoans bacteria so Mushi Mushi being the eighth I'm going to give it Eight awesomes out of awesome. I'd give it one eye awesome out of awesome. I'm just going to say it's freaking awesome. Yeah. You need to go <laughs> watch it. Or read it. Like, seriously, there's only four volumes in the manga out. It's like 13 bucks a volume. You probably have to order it, but it's worth ordering. It really is. I think Funimation might have put out a box spot by now, the anime. No, the Funimation has a... Um, box but it's just from the first disc it's one okay. of those like here's the first disc and a cardboard box now please buy all the rest of them hopefully at some point they'll put out a thin pack of it because that'd be the best way to buy it yeah um, either way definitely check it out slowly to the side to look at me playing with my boobs just like this is awesome <laughs> <laughs> this has been the awesome cast if you want to learn more about us or if you liked us check us out on the web at osmcast.com and leave a message or a comment in the comment section awesome cast so awesome only three letters can contain it or you can leave us an email at osmcast at gmail.com or you can send us a voicemail at the awesome line area code 206 426-5063. Bye-bye.